everyone, and welcome to episode 7 of Traffic Jam. It's Isabel here, and as always, I'm joined by Georgia. Hey everyone, thank you so much for coming back to this podcast. If you've been listening, and if you're just finding this episode, welcome to our show. We think this episode is going to be very relevant to everyday life, especially with the use of social media. If you're enjoying this episode, please share it with your friends and family, and check out our social media pages that are linked in the episode description. We also recently opened an Etsy store with Traffic Jam and Moms and Security merch where the proceeds will go towards Moms and Security Global Outreach and our mission to help combat human trafficking. Yeah, be sure to check out our shop. And if you do uh, end up getting any merch, take a picture and share it on social media and tag us in it uh, so we can all see what you picked out. For today's episode, like Georgia said, it's something that is very relevant to everyday life. We're going to be talking about uh, family vlogging and sharenting and essentially posting kids on social media and the potential impact that it can have that maybe people aren't fully aware of. Yes, we thought it was very important to bring up this point and we want to preface this episode by saying We are not hating on anybody for sharing their children on the internet. We're not judging or shaming. We're just, we just want to bring this conversation to life because we're guilty of watching strangers on the internet. We're guilty of having friends that or followers that maybe we don't know so well. And sometimes we just don't think about what social media can do and the impact it has. Obviously, uh, not unusual to take pictures and videos of your family and your children growing up, but now uh, we are posting all those videos and pictures online for our friends and even strangers who follow us uh, for them to see. Most parents will uh, put those posts on their social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, and the Wall Street Journal actually has a name for it. They call it sharenting which essentially means uh, the practice of parents uh, publicizing the videos or pictures of their children on different social media platforms, uh, which sometimes can have some major benefits uh, when shared with close connections. But sometimes it can be very risky for both parents and children. Due to sharenting, many parents can spend more time on social media And they can also make distant friends, especially during the pandemic situation. So this has become especially even more relevant uh, during the pandemic and following just because of the increased use in social media. One point I think is important to bring up here is that people probably personally don't even know many of their friends and followers that they have on social media. And I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I'll add or confirm a friend request just because they have a certain amount of mutual friends. So I think I might know them somehow or might have met them somewhere. And we're friends and I really don't even know them. Well, and I think too, there's also like a certain uh, like like feel good type of feeling to have, you know, more followers and get friend requests and to have a big social media platform. And so I think part of that too can kind of encourage people to go ahead and friend people that they don't know. And the potential dangers of doing so aren't necessarily evident. 
And so it seems super harmless because that person is, you know, it feels like, you know, they're so far away. You don't feel that same interpersonal connection over social media. Right. It's just like, oh, I met them in college or I met them at some type of event where we had mutual friends. And it's cool to see what they have going on in their lives. But do I talk to them every day, even every week, month? Do I even talk to them once a year? No. But you just like keep certain friends or followers on your feeds just to just to follow and keep up with their lives, basically. Like followers is followers for a reason. Completely. I actually have some statistics that I want to share. Um, and these came from a survey that was conducted by SecurityORG um, in the U.S. about this, you know, sharenting habit. Um, and the survey was uh, included 1,000 parents and children. Uh, and this survey gave some facts uh, that about 75% of parents shared the picture um, or stories or videos of their children on social media. And more than 80% of the parents use the real name of their kids, uh, either, you know, uh, in the post or it was said in the video. And then less than 25% of parents uh, took the permission of their children before posting anything about them on social media. And about 29% of parents uh, don't even bother to get the permission. However, um, I will say 21% of parents have said that they sometimes ask permission from their kids. And around one in four parents have put the setting of their posts on public where anyone, even people they don't know, um, are able to see it. So if they go ahead and like click on their uh, social media page, that um, their page is completely public so people can see the pictures of their children. Um, and again, often these have the children's name in them. Um, and 80% of parents don't even know their social media friends um, and have never met them face to face. Can I make a comment? Maybe. Okay. Have something to say. <laughs> I think these numbers are really stark because 75% and 80% of parents sharing their kids, and then even using their real names. And then you have numbers in the 20%, less than 30% of parents not bothering to get the permission from their kids to post, which I understand parents are supposed to make the decisions for their kids until you hit 18 years of age. But there are some really embarrassing pictures of kids on the internet without their permission, essentially, and that can be a meme that sticks around forever and ever and ever. Like that little girl that goes, freaking bats. I yes. love Halloween. <laughs> I don't know how old she is now, but she's an icon. I and know. Gotta look her up and see how old she is now and how maybe that meme impacted her. I know. I wonder what she's doing nowadays. Right? Like, is she um, a Halloween store owner? Who knows? Well, I do have some more statistics uh, from, again, from the same survey. Um, according to the survey report, there are about 22% of parents um, have met all of their social media uh, friends in real life. Um, and there are many companies that gather the data of users 
for personalized ads and the lack of proper uh, settings and privacy can increase the risk of online attacks. And here's where more concern comes in. Identity theft um, is a very big problem, especially here in the U.S. And about 14% of parents said uh, that hackers stole the identity of their children. And that's just from the um, 1,000 parents and kids in this uh, specific survey. Uh, sometimes parents share, you know, the embarrassing posts of their children online, which, uh, according to this survey, can uh, create anxiety for children, especially uh, when their friends use these posts for mocking or for trolling. Um, as 21% of parents say their kids became the victim of cyberbullying and harassment, and about 69% of um, the children those children became victim on Snapchat. There was a lot there, so I'm trying to pick out like which ones I want to talk on. But I think even though 14% seems like such a small number, just the mere fact that parents are posting so much on the internet without protection and privacy settings on their account, they, which they might not even realize that they're doing or they don't know how to get into the privacy settings to turn them on. So I'm not saying it's completely their fault, but they're getting their identity stolen and hackers are stealing the identity of their children. So that's very scary because a child doesn't, but they haven't grown into any person and their identity is already being stolen because their mom or dad took a cute picture of them or a funny video and they wanted to share it with their friends. And then the cyberbullying thing again too. I know when I was young and on Facebook, like in the early days, I get memories from 10, 12 years ago that I laugh at. But they're so embarrassing. <laughs> and <laughs> it was during like the prime time awkward years where you didn't even think, you just did whatever you wanted because you didn't know the reality of social media. And now I'm just, I laugh. I get embarrassed. I send them to my friends. Sometimes they send them to me, but it's just like, it was bad. <laughs> like, so I can't imagine today's children being bullied. And it's not even stuff that they're putting up on Facebook necessarily. It's their parents. Well, and that's like the hard part too. It's that children are reliant on their parents uh, for a lot of their protection. And they have this increased vulnerability. And so it's, a, you know, obviously uh, the parent's responsibility to do everything to protect that child. And so, again, but with social media, and I think where a lot of this kind of gets, um, can get out of hand and increase danger for children is that you don't necessarily always know the risk. You might not know that your identity has been stolen. You might one never know. It might be years until you find out because it seems so distant. And I think a lot of people, too, also think, well, that's not going to happen to me. And so they go about, you know, sharing their pictures and, you know, accruing all of these, like, likes and hearts and reactions to their posts, their social media posts. And then you get the comments of, oh my god, your kid is so cute, your kid is so funny, love to see these pictures and videos, you know, they're growing up to be such a beautiful person, etc. So 
that just reinforces the next post and the post after that. And then a whole child's childhood is basically being put online for not only just friends and family to see, but potentially strangers. Right. Well, and the thing too is there are benefits to family vlogging uh, because they do help create these, you know, communities of people who can come together. They can share their lives and their memories. They can serve as support uh, for other families that may have like a similar life uh, lifestyle or are going through a similar struggle and to get advice from other people on how they're doing life. So it's not to say that there are no benefits uh, to things like family vlogging, which has become so popular, um, or to, you know, obviously sharing photos with your close friends and family on your social media um, and keeping, you know, people in touch with what you're doing. But just at the same time, there are these very uh, prevalent risks that people need to be made aware of. A big thing is supporting families in different situations. Like one, you know you're not alone in a situation. And two, you get ideas for how other families are navigating life. Sometimes I really do think we all get caught up in our daily stresses of our own lives. And sometimes we think our situations and problems are just unique to us. And we don't realize that there are so many other people out there who are going through the exact same thing. Or maybe they've been through it and made it. So social media reminds us of this. And it can build communities, like you said, from thousands of miles away. But again... When we are talking about Sharon Tang or family vlogging, we forget that young children are technically being taped and photographed without any genuine consent from their parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, daycare, etc. to be posting these online. And I'm sure all the videos of young kids screaming, crying, throwing tantrums when they're upset, they're good for a laugh for a stranger. But when that child grows up, that video is always going to be available to somebody else. Just think, would you want a video or picture of you ugly crying and screaming available for the whole internet to see? Absolutely not. No, I'm an ugly crier. Nobody needs to see that. Exactly. <laughs> but there was this really interesting blog that I read. It was called Family Vlogging, Blurring the Line Between Parent and Employer. And it gave some real life examples of children being photographed and taped by their parent. And the videos went viral, which ended up haunting children for the rest of their lives. Before we get into uh, those stories really quick, I want to share something from a site uh, called Nominee. It's a UK site. Um, and it has also published data um, that average parents share the pictures and videos of their children before they turn uh, 15 years old. And if the data of uh, parents are exposed online, it means that the majority of their children's pictures and videos are also going to be exposed online. Uh, the report said that the main issue is when parents don't ask for the permission of their children. And the data says that 32% of children uh, during this survey said that their parents still shared their photos or videos uh, even when they did not give permission. However, 53% of children responded that their parents did not upload uh, their photo uh, when they did not give permission. 
But on the bright side, at least there are some parents out there that respect the decisions of their children to make that choice for themselves or even give their children that option. I remember for me growing up, whenever we would take uh, vacation photos or family photos, my mom would want to post them on the internet. And we just had a rule that if, you know, you were in the photo, it had to get past you through, uh, to get approved, essentially. And you could either, you know, say yes, that can go up or no, take that one down, use this one instead or something like that. That's awesome. It was way ahead of the times. Like It took forever to get anything posted and for people to agree on a photo. <laughs> well, yeah, because if somebody's tooth looks messed up in a picture, they don't want that on the Internet. Exactly. Their eyes are closed. You know, that was always my biggest one. Yeah, you don't want to be the person blinking in a photo because that <laughs> obviously never gets forgotten. No. All right. So I'm going to go into some quotes from this blog about vlogging that I found. A couple years back, there was a very popular YouTuber. And one day she announced that she was pregnant and the whole Internet went crazy over her. And she shared her pregnancy experience which is pers- which is fine because it was her life and her pregnancy to share. Um, but she vlogged the birth of her son, which was viewed 33 million times without the child essentially having a say. Well, that's got to be hard too for somebody who is famous, whether it's a celebrity, an influencer, um, because they already have such a huge following. And so obviously anything that they post is going to get a lot of views. And here that's insane. Like 33 million times this kid was viewed being born. That's a really good point. If you follow somebody, you at least have a sense that you know them. And if somebody that you or you really like to watch, that sounds creepy. Um, announces that you're pregnant, that they're pregnant, you know, they're happy and they're excited and they share their experience, you're obviously going to watch and you're going to want to know what's going on and you're going to look for updates. But it's, in my opinion, filming the birth, not something I think I would want to watch, but I'm sure there were fans of hers out there looking for it. Well, people probably felt so invested because, you know, especially with vlogging, like you're following people's life on either a daily or like a weekly basis. And so you almost, you know, and they always, when people, whenever I've seen like vlogging, uh, like family vlogs or anything like that, they try to make this uh, atmosphere where they're almost like a family with their, it's like their vlog family and the people who subscribe are a part of this vlog family. Even when some like, figures like have names for what their followers are in a sense Mm -hmm. you have that identity with them right so of course they're going to be invested in every aspect most likely of you know that person's life and now a kid is being born into that right which is a whole other conversation too Mm -hmm. but i'm going to continue on to this next quote it's a little bit longer So other family vlogging channels have taken their exploitation a step further by taking advantage of their children's hardships. One of the most infamous examples of this phenomenon is a 31-year-old family vlogger, Jordan Cheyenne. 
After finding out their dog was severely sick, Cheyenne recorded a video of herself and her son in the car as she tried to comfort him. She then proceeded to accidentally upload the raw footage of this video, which shows her trying to make her son pose for a thumbnail as she pretends to be crying. When she tells him pretend to be crying, he responds, Mom, I'm actually seriously crying. As she continues to find the right angle for the further for the thumbnail of the video. Then the internet went crazy, and after the resulting outrage online, she deleted her channel and shared that she was putting herself and her son into counseling. She went on to say that people will have their kids ham it up. Behind the scenes, they're like, do this and I'll give you a treat. It's so wrong, and I can't even say how disappointed in myself I am. I think it opened a conversation for how a lot of people might be running their channels. That's really interesting. Um, first of all, too, like accidentally uploading the, you know, not the correct video is a real risk. And two, all the coaching that is sometimes behind, again, not every, I don't want to say, you know, every family channel is going to be like this, but a lot of family channels, uh, because again, people are trying to get the views because for so many people, this is like a source of income for them. And so the views, they, they matter. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, it's nice that she actually admits that she was probably one of these parents. Do it, I'll give you a treat. Like, but then once things finally went wrong, I, sh I shouldn't even say went wrong. Once she made that mistake and the internet saw what she was really doing and exploiting her son the way she was, she was real enough to take herself off the internet, take him off the internet and say, actually, we need some counseling because we need to work on this. I need to work on myself as a mother. And she probably needed to try to help him heal any traumas he had from being exploited like this. Right. I will say like, especially with like TikTok and everything, there's so many like, little family clips. My absolute, these irritate me every time I see them. My least favorite clips are those like videos where parents will like do something that they know upsets their kid and it'll get them to like cry and be upset. And everyone thinks it's like, oh, it's so cute. Oh, look, they're, you know, so sad because, you know, they can't have their dad or something like that. And I'm just sitting there like, why are you trying to get your kid to cry for views? Right. You're basically bullying your kid for views. Mm -hmm which is crazy. You just want a sponsorship from somebody that bad that you're going to harass and bully your own kid and then embarrass them in front of the whole world. Because then eventually they're going to grow up and they're going to like see how they behaved. But I mean, too, I feel like that encouraging that type of behavior when they're young is going to have impacts though too on how, you know, as they aged um, on their behavior and how they respond uh, to other people. And will they even maybe turn into a bully in school and think it's funny and videotape themselves bullying somebody else because that's what mom and dad did to that kid? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think, I think in a few years, there will be a lot more that's going to come out on the impact uh, that social media and family vlogging is going to have on children which that's actually going to lead me into my next quote 
from Malia Chowdhury. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but she detailed the way that family vlogging can make the featured children feel, stating, When I was very young, my family loved to post videos of me and my siblings on sites like Facebook and YouTube. Now that I'm older, it's very embarrassing to watch those videos and I can't even do anything about it. It's posted and the whole world can see it. In general, family vlogging might seem harmless at first, but without the consent of the persons being filmed, it's violating their privacy and harmful to their image. And I'm sure that, you know, with most parents, like they're not ill-intended when they're, you know, videoing their kids and putting it on social media. They're not meaning to harm them. They think it's funny. And like, you know, though you said like with this example, the kids end up growing up and seeing the video and being embarrassed by them. Um, and all of the online content that was posted without their consent. Mm -hmm. And there might even be that negative consequence of this, like, digital footprint that is going to be following them years after. Like, you mentioned, like, those kids that end up on uh, memes. And it's like, well, who is it to say that, you know, just because a kid says something funny and they, maybe they think it's funny that they're a meme, they don't fully understand the impact of social media and uh, being an internet figure and so who is it to say that that should you know even occur in the first place and there's actually an interesting story so in 2016 an 18 year old girl in Austria actually ended up suing her parents because they had shared over 500 photos of her uh, with their Facebook friends and she claimed that these photos uh, depicting her in extremely personal ways have had very negative real-life consequences. And so there's just one example to see how, how you know, sharenting is going to can impact kids later on. I don't know if you saw this when you were reading about this case in particular, but when you said personal ways or extremely personal ways, do you know what that means? Because I feel like that's very broad. I'm looking up the story right now. And I don't see exactly what type of photos uh, were posted. But there's a quote from uh, the 18-year-old saying, They knew no shame and no limit. And didn't care whether it was a picture of me sitting on the toilet or lying naked in my cot. Every stage was photographed and then made public. So it sounds like they were posting very personal photos of their child as, you know, throughout her stages growing up. Everything was out there. And it looks like, too, they had about, you know, 700 Facebook friends. And what's interesting here, I guess the father told uh, the news outlets that he has rights to the photos because he took them. And that kind of brings up an interesting dynamic, too. And I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later, which is, you know, are there any protections for kids? I'm like, I'm in shock right now. And I'm actually really disgusted because as a parent, why would you even think to put such explicit photos of your child online? There are people out there who sexualize children. If you have even two friends on Facebook. They could still screenshot the picture, save the picture, 
and send it to somebody else who sends it to somebody else. So just putting a picture, especially of your child sleeping or not wearing appropriate clothing, just puts them instantly at risk to end up on some dark corner of the internet without knowing. Right. And I think there is too, like a little bit of a cultural component in terms of like some culture, just some cultures being a little bit uh, just more open than others. But then too, I mean, either way, it's important. And this is also why we wanted to do this episode. It's important for parents uh, to be aware of these potential dangers because of the responsibility that they have to protect their kids. But I think too, a lot of parents don't realize how big of a concern social media is and what people can actually do uh, with these pictures. And like, again, I do want to know, like, sharing and putting up pictures is not a crime. Um, and again, uh, it is sometimes good when you're, you know, sharing stuff with just your family, close loved ones. But parents have to be very careful with the privacy settings when they're sharing posts. So as of right now, we don't know the full long-term impacts of child vlog stars. We have some examples as we just shared, but we don't really know how that's going to carry out in the years to come, especially as this is becoming such a regular phenomenon. And there are also no regulations that exist in place to protect children from being posted by their parents. But there was a bill drafted this year that addresses how children lack the legal protections against exploitation from their parents, points to loss of privacy, and the non-consensual exchange of their personal property rights. Additionally, this bill allows minors to receive any compensation their parents make through videos and enables the right of any person to have any content of them taken down when they turn 18 if they choose to do so. So right now they don't have the right to get those pictures and videos taken down, but once they do turn 18, if they told their parents you need to take that down, the parent would technically have to comply if this bill were to pass and be put into law and the minor would be awarded any compensation that their parents make through filming these videos. That is really interesting, again, just because a lot of people do make money off of social media platforms. And so now part of that needs to be put aside if this you know, were to be passed for the child once they turn 18. Yeah, I'm just in shock and very thrilled that there are some legislatures out there that recognize this is an issue and they want to try to build some type of foundation to protect children in this way. Right. I mean, this piece of legislation is definitely something that developed just out of, you know, the new technological age um, and social media use that we've been experiencing. And so it's definitely important that this topic be addressed with legislation and that some kind of protections are put in place now for these kids as family vlogging, you know, might become just more and more popular. Right. We got to start somewhere and I'm going to try to keep an eye on this one just to see how it progresses if it passes. I think it'll be cool to see if it does. 
yes, if we ever do see anything, we'll definitely make sure to mention it um, in a future episode. We'll keep you all updated. Yes, we will. And again, we're just going to trying to make this as clear as possible. We are not shaming parents for sharing their lives and their child's lives with friends and family or the internet. We're recording this episode as a means to remind everybody that kids in these videos and photos have their lives and their futures ahead of them. They may never ask their parents to take down the posts, but others may be impacted long-term. We are not trying to act like the snark pages on Reddit that exist to critique the families and how they raise their kids or expose any forms of exploitation. This episode is simply just opening the conversation as social media is a way in which most, if not all of us, interact with our friends and families, meet new people and stay in touch with people we knew for a short time. However, we do feel the need to address the reality of any potential security risks and threats that can arise from this. All right. Well, we've talked and given some examples about, you know, what sharenting is and um, just some stories of how kids have been affected. And we've mentioned, you know, all these potential concerns and privacy risks and security risks. So we want to go ahead and delve a little bit more into what these risks actually are uh, for both parents and children whose pictures and videos are all over the internet uh, with very minimal uh, privacy settings in place. Often without thinking so, I've seen so many videos where a parent Again, who I don't even know. I'm just seeing them on a TikTok or Discover page. They overshare. They share names. They share the ages of themselves, their partners, their children, um, careers they have, sometimes work schedules. I know what types of cars they drive. I know what their neighborhoods look like in the general area or at least the state of in which they live. And I know habitual places they go, whether it's parks, coffee shops, grocery stores. Um, And even if people aren't sharing exactly where they live, they share the city and the vlogs can lead to people who work to identify homes, schools, places of work, etc. So it must have, TikTok must have known that I was doing research on this episode because I found this account, Jose Monkey. And what this guy does is he takes video submissions from his followers and he uses what seem like small details to pinpoint exactly where the video was taken. So he'll use the background, the buildings, the weather, the way the sun shines and the shadows to determine where a person is. And they don't tell him even what state or what part of the country that they are in In the video, he just uses the fine details to locate them. And he does this to raise awareness and let people know that it happens and it's really not that complicated to find somebody if you're willing to put in the effort to do so. That's insane. That just from like the background of a photo, somebody can try and like pinpoint where it was taken and figure out where somebody lives. And he shows how he does it, which is super cool because you see how he does it. But again, it's kind of um, 
counterproductive maybe because somebody might be taking notes on how to do this to find maybe an influencer that they love. Right. But it's super interesting. I highly suggest watching his videos. Do you know how to do it? No, but if I watch some of his videos, I can definitely figure it out. Hopefully his account's still active when this episode drops or I'm going to look like a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> we promise this was real. This was real at one point. But I think too, like, I mean, a lot of people will take certain measures to like hide their exact address. I've seen that a lot. So that way, you know, people, you know, hopefully don't know where they live, um, things like that. Like people take certain measures in attempts to be cautious. But what I think, you know, what I didn't necessarily realize, and I'm sure a lot of people don't realize, is that you just like videoing a background outside of your house, even if your address is not showing, or just videoing yourself at a local coffee shop, and maybe you don't put like the name of the coffee shop in the video. Those little precautions aren't necessarily keeping you safe because it's still so easy for people to be able to pinpoint the location. Right, and like the videos that I've watched of this man doing it, these people that send him the videos and say like, find me, they're in a public place. They're like outside a Wendy's parking lot and they'll do like a 360 of just like a selfie video saying, hey, find me. They don't say I'm in the Southeast, I'm in the Northwest. Right, like no hints. No, no hints. Just here's the background. Find me. And he does. And then he shows the Google Maps image, Google Earth images to say, look at this is everything that was in her video. And she was standing right here. So I think the first point that we want to make is that people can still uh, find people's location with background. So attempts to hide your address or, you know, different local places that you go aren't necessarily enough to ensure uh, safety and the privacy. Um, and again, too, in terms of like other risks, we already know that there are child predators on the Internet, as well as stalkers who are going to take interest um, in these family vloggers. There was actually a 35-year-old man, just to give an example, who was arrested uh, last year in August uh, because he became obsessed with um, a little girl that he saw on Facebook. And he easily learned where she went to school, what grade she was in, um, little things like that, and had been obsessively stalking the family for weeks and learned, you know, uh, where they were going, you know, to a school orientation. And then he looked up information on the school uh, where he just showed up, signed in as the girl's father, and followed her and her group around. He would uh, stay, like, really close to her without, like, touching her. Um, and parents and the principal noticed his behavior and they actually called the police, um, and he was arrested, and he told the police officer uh, that he went there to drug this girl uh, with a starburst uh, with tranquilizers in it, 
uh, kidnap her and sexually assault her. Uh, he admitted to officers that he had sexually abused children in the past and had possession of child abuse materials. He pled not guilty in September uh, and was ruled uh, competent to stand trial and then is actually scheduled to stand trial uh, end of August this year. I saw the body cam footage of this particular arrest online and it was really disturbing. This man completely admitted to everything you had just said and he was so calm and just like, yeah, I came here. I was going to do X, Y, and Z. I just wanted to take her home with me. And I give a lot of credit to the officer who was there because he was staying so calm, which I don't know how you do when you're talking to somebody who was telling you they were going to sexually abuse a child. Um, I don't think the body cam footage is online anymore, unfortunately. I think it got taken down, maybe for the purposes of the trial, but... You know, predators do exist out there, and this man became obsessed with this little girl through Facebook. So family, parents, friends were sharing pictures of her, and maybe through a lack of privacy settings, or maybe they even knew the man. I'm not really sure. News articles that I saw didn't say anything about that. He was just able to follow her and know so much about this little girl's life. I know, like, her grade and, like, the school. It's crazy, but I do also give credit to the other parents that were there that noticed it. I don't know where her parents were at the time of this all. If they were maybe with another group or, like, they didn't go with the children circling around. But thank God administrators saw this and took the initiative to call the police because God knows what would have happened if they didn't pay attention. Now, AI, uh, which, you know, people are talking about all over social media and like TikTok and all the things you can do with AI now. And there's so many different AI tools. Well, that now adds a very interesting component into the security risks for children's uh, pictures and videos being on the Internet. Okay, so there was a post circulating my LinkedIn feed recently from the Daily Mail and I'm really happy that I saw this before we recorded this episode because this ad highlights the dangers of sharenting that we hadn't even considered when we were initially researching for this episode. So there is an ad titled Without Consent and it's by T-Mobile's Dutch subsidiary Deutsche Teleco. Yes we looked up how to pronounce it. I'm still sorry if I butchered it. But what this ad does is it created this story of Ella, who is a girl whose parents harmlessly shared her life on social media. This ad depicts how AI can use just one photo to morph young Ella into an older girl, audio engineer a voice for Ella, and basically steal her identity before she even had the chance to be the girl she truly is. Right, so now... You know, not only do you, you know, we have just these like raw photos that parents are putting on the internet. Now we have tools that can adjust the age of these people 
um, and their voice to match with it, to completely take their identity and now, you know, create a persona for this person in a public space before they're even, you know, say it's of a 13-year-old, before they're even 13. The ad goes on and they detail how somebody could destroy her credit score or even audio engineer her voice and create a scam call to call her mom saying, mom, I need help. So it'll, they could scare the parents into maybe paying some type of fee or going somewhere to a setup. And last but not least, everybody knew we were going to get to this point. Create child abuse materials featuring a child, in this case, Ella. Do we have examples of that having happened? Well, in this ad, they basically take like a photo of Ella at the beach and they're able just to put it on a child abuse materials website. So you have people who are going to sexualize her, even though it was just an innocent photo that her parents, you know, thought she was cute in. Right. That is terrifying. Recent studies show that the average child has their picture shared online 13,000 times before the age of 13. 13,000. That's a lot of photos. I don't even know if I have that many pictures of me in my life. I know, I'm trying to think. Like, probably in all the old family albums, but that was before Facebook, you know? Well, and too, I mean, before smartphones... Like, right. when, we, when we were growing up, we didn't have smartphones to just be able to, like, store all of these, you know, thousands and thousands of photos. Right. It was cameras and film that you had mm-hmm. to go get printed. And you had and to pay to have them so printed. Old. Yes. And now, now listen to us. Bunch mm. of old, <laughs> old, 20, <laughs> old 25-year-olds? Is that a thing? <laughs> it doesn't sound right. No doesn't sound right at all. (laughs) We definitely encourage everybody to watch this ad. We'll post the article, the Daily Mail article, in the description uh, just so everybody can see it um, and see how AI is impacting this issue today. Yes, definitely check that out because outside of the ad, the article gives examples of real children who fell victim to dangers of the internet. So there is something called digital kidnapping. Isabel, have you ever heard of this before? I, I've heard of the concept. I've never heard this term, though, as being used to describe what okay. it means. So I had never heard of this term before either. So for our listeners, digital kidnapping happens when somebody saves photos and videos of another person's children and basically pretends to be the parents so kids get digitally kidnapped and are basically somebody else's kids online and they get shared to even more strangers than their parents are sharing them to which is insane and further even if somebody knows most of their friends on their social media keeps their circles relatively small there could be just that one person that then takes the photos and poses that child as their own on their own, you know, separate account. And now that photo is being blasted to so many more people. Once it's on the internet, it's kind of just out of your hands. 
and exactly you have no idea what could possibly happen and whether it's consensual or not there was another story in this article of a child who was videotaped by a daycare worker without the parents consent supposedly there was like a form sign that they had not given the daycare consent to videotape or photograph their child but one of the workers had the child swear in a video and it immediately went viral which eventually you know the worker got fired because they broke a policy and the parents had to work tirelessly to get that video taken down from the internet before their child was turned into a meme at such a young age i mean i think too you know we all heard this growing up from our parents but you know even though you delete something it's never truly gone off the internet like it still exists somewhere and it can be retrieved so you know once something like that happens like the damage is done right and it's always going to be brought up at the next family holiday somebody's going to say does anybody have that picture of georgia from 2009 yep bring it out let's see it and then you just kind of have to get the embarrassment over i do have an iconic picture that's really embarrassing i was gonna say that was very specific (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a very specific picture from my childhood that everybody loves to bring up Mm. for me so i understand (laughs) I understand the trauma. <laughs> I try to think if I have one. I don't really think I do. Oh, you're lucky. I'll, <laughs> I'll send it to you. Oh, I'll get it from somebody that has it and I'll I'll send it to you because I don't have it. Because you're, I don't well, you're trying it. to forget it, I'm sure. <laughs> I do try to forget it, but then somebody will bring it up every now and then and I'm like, yeah, there, there it is. <laughs> That's terrible. <sighs> it's all for a laugh, right? <laughs> There was another example of AI being used to blackmail a teen who posted himself bare-chested at the gym. So basically, this kid's photo was taken and then morphed with AI and further used as blackmail. And for a teenager to be blackmailed on the internet is, I don't want to say, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but I want to say it's kind of scary but it's not because as a teen, you do know what you're doing. But on the second hand, you're being blackmailed and you're a teenager. So you're not going to tell your parents what's going on because you don't want the speech from your parents about how reckless and irresponsible you are because that's what you're going to get as a teen. Well, but like also posting something like a gym picture is not like, I don't think a lot of people would consider that irresponsible per se. Something like that's very normal. It's very normal, especially with the age of um, fitness influencers. Right. I mean, for a teen, you know, just innocently pose, you know, posting a a gym selfie, which so many people do, especially with the age of fitness influencers um, and, you know, pursuits of health, has to, you know, is terrifying and a confusing situation. Because now, you you know, there is this photo that somebody has created that looks like you, but it's altered in a way that is embarrassing, doesn't depict the actual original picture, so it's a false sense of you. And now that can be blasted to your all your friends and family. 
And this article didn't detail like what the blackmail was, but it does comment that often blackmailing is actually to send additional explicit or naked photos. So somebody may have morphed it using AI and then said, well, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, something's going to happen. We're going to tell your parents or we're going to send this to your parents or, you know, something like that. Right. And finally, pedophiles are out there. They're on the internet, as we know, and they catfish children posing as children. So in this example that the article gives, there was a catfish posing as a young girl who a young boy, a real young boy, was talking to in a chat room. And what the predator did was they had sent this young boy a picture of the girl who we thought he was talking to with her shirt off and said, send me a picture of you with your shirt off. So this little boy was taking off his shirt and taking pictures of himself And his mother said, what are you doing? And this boy said, mom, I'm talking with this girl. She wants me to send her a picture of me with my shirt off. So the mom being a good mother, in my opinion, went into the chat room and read the messages between the boy and this supposed young girl. And she knew instantly from the way that this person was talking that they couldn't be a child, that they were definitely an adult, just through like the grammar and the phrasing. But she couldn't prevent the damage from being done because that predator had sent a picture of this girl naked from the waist down with her legs open. And the young boy saw this and he was immediately traumatized. And I imagine the mom was too because damage was done. She did save her boy from further exploitation and possibly sending pictures of himself, but she couldn't save him from already, she couldn't save him from that exposure. Right, and this example moves a little bit away from Sharenting and is more focused on children using social media, but stories like this um, were especially very prevalent during the pandemic. Uh, We were seeing a lot of these types of cases because kids were on social media a lot more because they were home, they were using the internet more for school. And so that just increased more uh, ways in which uh, predators could easily reach out to children. And especially too, a lot of them weren't able to see their friends. And so there was um, increased risk for like just feelings of depression and loneliness. And so people were talking to strangers on the internet. And unfortunately, you know, stories like this uh, were becoming quite prevalent. The internet can be a very, very vulnerable place for kids. And um, especially just like with their age, uh, additional precautions are, you know, often necessary to, you know, to help, you know, prevent potential exploitation. I feel like this um, population, specifically this age group, is especially vulnerable too because they're growing up at such a young age with this in their lives. Like we said, we didn't get smartphones and that until, you know, preteen embarrassing years and on. And our parents obviously never had it either. So 
how do parents even know to think to do like online safety sit downs with their kid you know we were told don't go anywhere alone walk in groups blah 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 but now parents have to also have that protective instinct at home when their child's on the computer right and for any parents that are listening if you have any specific uh, tips uh, or tools that you use to have these types of safety conversations with your children on the internet please share it in our um, on our Instagram page when we post about this episode um, and let us all know um, different things that way we can help you know keep children safe um, while they're using the internet. In a future episode, we do hope that we can have on one of the moms in security. Her name is Antoinette King, and we refer to her as the cyber mom. She is a cybersecurity professional, and she even has a book out right now. It's called The Digital Citizen's Guide to Cybersecurity, How to Be Safe and Empowered Online. So if anybody wants to go purchase that book, it's on Amazon and give it a read and it should be able to give you some tricks on how to keep yourself, your family, your friends, etc. safe online. Yes, definitely go check out uh, the book and we'll include a couple of links in the description uh, for further reading just so everybody can educate themselves on this issue, be aware of it, uh, to then be able to put some best practices in place uh, for yourself and your family when engaging with the internet. Isabel, do you want to bring us the myth for the day? Yes, let's do today's myth. It comes from the Polaris Project, and it is that human trafficking only happens in illegal or underground industries. The reality is that human trafficking cases have been reported and prosecuted in industries including restaurants, cleaning services, construction, uh, factories, and several more uh, legitimate businesses uh, that have contributed to perpetuating human trafficking and running human trafficking rings through their uh, business. And this includes for both sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Isabel and I have continued to say how common human trafficking is even though we don't recognize it so much as a society or really talk about it but it really does happen in plain sight consistently and this while the stereotypes surrounding human trafficking can be true human trafficking happens in such large numbers that we aren't realizing it does take place in legitimate businesses and organizations And that's why it can happen in such large numbers. Because it does actually happen within legitimate businesses and in plain sight, there are certain signs that people uh, can be made aware of to look out for. Um, That way, if they know, know they see something suspicious, they can then say something about it. So what I wanted to go ahead and do to contribute uh, to this bit is provide a couple of signs uh, for both Uh, labor trafficking and sex trafficking that might indicate that somebody is in a trafficking situation. I do want to disclaim though, if, you know, some of these are true, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is trafficking, but these are some common signs um, and commonalities between trafficking cases. 
And so it could definitely be a potential case in uh, something to then report to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which again, we will put their number in our episode description. I'm going to start with some signs for labor trafficking. Um, And these include feeling pressured by their employer to stay at a job or a situation that they want to leave. Two, they owe money to an employer or recruiter or are not being paid what they were promised or are owed. Three, do not have control of their passport and other identity documents. So the trafficker is keeping all of those important documents. Four, are living and working in isolated conditions, largely cut off from interacting with others or support systems. And so, for example, they're kept away from legal services. Uh, They appear to be monitored by another person when talking or interacting with others, are being threatened by their boss with deportation or other harm, Um, are working in dangerous conditions without proper safety gear, training, adequate breaks, or other protections, or are living in dangerous, overcrowded, or inhumane conditions provided by an employer. I know we don't talk about labor trafficking a lot on this podcast, which we definitely can look into it in the future to talk about, but thank you for sharing those signs with us. Now, some signs for um, sex trafficking might include uh, they want to stop participating in commercial sex but feel scared or unable to leave the situation, Uh, disclose that they were reluctant to engage in commercial sex but someone pressured them into it, Uh, they live where they work or are transported by guards between home and the workplace, Um, Are children who live with or are dependent on a family member with a substance uh, use problem or who is abusive? Um, uh, Have a pimp or a manager in the commercial sex industry? Work in an industry where it may be common to be pressured into performing sex acts for money, such as a strip club, uh, illicit cantina, a go-go bar, or illicit massage business. Have a controlling parent, guardian, romantic partner, or a sponsor who will not allow them to meet or speak with anyone alone or who monitors their movements, spending, or communications. Isabel, thank you for sharing those signs. And I just want everybody to realize how important it is to know these signs because people will know what to look for and therefore know what questions to ask to try to help somebody who may be in a trafficking situation. And Isabel, thank you for bringing today's myth and sharing some warning signs. Again, we will post the National Human Trafficking Hotline number in the episode description. And as always, communicate what you guys learned with your friends and spread the word. The more people who are involved against human trafficking, the more we can make a dent in stopping it. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. Please send us any questions or DM us and interact with our social media on what you would like us to address on our Traffic Jam account and follow us on all of our social media platforms. That's Traffic Jam Podcast on Instagram where we link the Moms in Security Instagram page as well. And we are on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Etsy.
and we will see you all in two weeks.